do you remember the starlit pathways of the ancient forest? Do you remember when your footsteps were a sacred song that let the land know of your love? Do you remember when you heard the whispers of the stones and trees and the stories carried by the wind? Do you remember the soft fluttering of swan wings and the song of the ancient forest of Gaia as it would guide you deeper and deeper into her dream for you. This place, these energies evoke a doorway. This living doorway stands before you and I now. Its frame is surrounded in curls of vines and roses. From inside it emanates a light, an energy, a humming that stirs your heart, awake, alive. And this door, this gateway, is actually wide open. Although the way through it has been covered with brambles and brush, showing how it is the path less traveled. This is open to you now. This is the doorway to fairy. These are the fairy gates that have been opened, the pathway forged. Will you come to the threshold with me, my friend? Will you come to meet and greet this energy? Will you meet it halfway? This and more we are going to explore on today's episode all about fairy. Welcome to Elemental Whispers, a podcast dedicated to creating pathways of remembrance through the sharing of personal experiences and real-life sacred stories of working with the community of other world beings for healing, growth, and joyful enchantment. I'm Diamira Rose D'Agostino, and this is my gift to you, a podcast that is really meant to be a doorway. May it illuminate this pathway of magical remembrance. May its medicine of enchantment guide you in your elemental journey of soul, earth, and spirit. I wanted to start this podcast episode by diving into the deep end, what I call the white elephant in the room. For if you are not familiar with my work, and you don't know me, then it wouldn't take but a quick internet search to quickly fall upon many mentions of the word fairy. Now, it's very easy to have many preconceived notions of a word like fairy. It's one of those words like God that is loaded. This word is loaded with all of our mental ideas and constructs born of childhood and religion and culture. And today, I want to pose an invitation for us to step beyond the mental constructs 
so that we can step into the imaginal realms of creative possibility. This word, fairy, is one that I have spent my life journeying with. What fairy is, really, from my lived experience. And I hope in sharing this that I create a bridge or an opening for you, the listener, to connect into this energy, this magic, this living story that is very much a part of our human existence and a necessary part of the sacred ecology of Gaia. Without further ado, let us begin. This, for me, has been one of the most challenging aspects of my work is getting beyond the ideas, the cultural and societal ideas that everyone has about this word. And yet, when I delved deep into this inquiry, what I also realized was that I could use no other word. So for me, Continuing to use the word fairy, continuing to speak from my truth around it, and also sharing it here and now with you is my way of reclaiming this word, not for myself, but for all of us. For in some ways, the limiting beliefs and ideas that we have that are conjured when we think of this word have actually robbed us of an opportunity to connect with the living magic that is at the heart of our world. And it is that living magic that drives creation, that breathes life into everything, that is the glue that heals and opens and awakens so Without getting too far down the rabbit hole, I want to begin with a passage from my newly released book, Initiation. The fairies I speak of are not the make-believe small creatures of children's stories that most people think of, such as Tinkerbell, that flit around in Disney movies. The fairies I speak of are ancient. Fairy refers to both a living story and a reality that interpenetrates this one. In truth, it flows through the heart of this world. And it is a magical, living, energetic key code that many of us in modern times hold within our hearts. Fairy refers to a people, a realm, and an experience that I know intimately. Because it is who I am in my core. For I remember a time when I was fairy. This energy, and I refer to it as an energy because it is more, it encompasses more than the inhabitants that we refer to as fairies. It encompasses more 
than the realm that is often called fairy or the other world. For me, fairy refers to a living medicine frequency that is integral and intrinsic to Gaia. It is one of those, one of those things that we can refer to as hidden in plain sight. For when we pull back the veils of our own minds, when we allow the scales to fall from our eyes, we may glimpse the way in which this energy breathes and interpenetrates our world, our physical mundane world. This energy that is the elemental forces of earth, air, water, fire. This energy that is the heart that connects earth and sky. This frequency is ancient, but it is also our future, and we can only access it from the deep now, the present. In order to connect into this, we must connect into the heart. And I speak now about heart, not as a sentimental concept, but as an organ of perception as a state of consciousness that allows us entry into the living dimensions that coexist alongside our own, but are very much a part of this planetary reality and dream. Now, don't worry, because I am going to get into the juicy stuff. I am going to talk about the spiritual inhabitants known as fairy. I'm going to talk about my experience with them, who I feel that they are, what relationship they have to us, and why it is so critical that we begin to engage and in some cases heal this relationship at this time. I wanted to begin with that high level energetic to really start us from this expanded place. And now let us dance and swirl with the spiritual inhabitants. I want to share with you a story. This is also from my book. And this story is going to speak about my very first real life encounter with fairy. And in fact, I refer to this as a fairy initiation. I stand atop the looming hill, heart pounding in my chest and ears. I hear the voice of the other world calling me. I had climbed as if my life had depended on it. And maybe it has. Digging my feet into the earth at the precipice, I seek security. There is none. I gaze out at the world beyond. Well, this is what it feels like to receive an otherworldly summons, I think. Ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. The pulse of this place rings in my ears and throbs in my fingertips, growing in volume and intensity, as if all my years of searching have boiled down to this one moment. It is so overwhelming. I feel as if it could crack me open from the inside. Dropping to my knees, I surrender to come what may. 
The grassy knoll is springy like lush moss, inviting my hands to caress its knobby tufts of green. I run my palms over it, as if searching for a way in. My hands come to rest upon what my mind imagines is a trap door, an entrance to a world within. My inner sight stirs as if in answer to an unspoken invitation to journey into this sacred hill. An energetic current guides my vision and I descend slowly, hesitantly. Darkness shrouds me as if the lights have suddenly been turned out. For much too long, I see nothing. Just as panic starts to set in, I find the source of the pulse that I have traced here, even though I had not known I was searching for it until now. Like a knot in the wall of darkness, the dammed-up energy lines of the land bulge and swell, crying for release. The elemental forces begin to flow and dance within my heart. Like a living key that I have guarded and secreted away, my heart guides my hands in a way my mind does not understand. Placing my hands upon the matted mess, the request is clear, set with lies trapped, within, free. I unwind and unwind the snarl-laid lines, working until the last thread is untangled. Silence. I wait, afraid to breathe, for fear I might disturb the power of this moment. Then, I hear a thunderous explosion. The dam bursts asunder, carrying away the darkness as if draining it from a deep well. My vision is restored as a flood of light spills out in a pool, bathing the land in a liquid blanket of magic and power. Droves of nature spirits and elemental beings pour forth, no longer inhibited by what once held them bound. For a transient fluttering of time, I see myself as earth, air, fire, water all coalescing in a dynamic dance of power and focus. Before I can form a thought, a blaring white light blinds my vision once again. Then, slowly, the light begins to subside. In its place, a shining being with iridescent skin like bluish-white flame stands watching me. In my heart, his name, Quinn, is whispered, followed by vague familiarity. Then he speaks, saying, I knew you'd come. Just as Gwyn turns to go, he states definitively, Soon you will remember. This passage, thank you for receiving it and listening with your heart. This passage is from the beginning of my book, and it truly does convey the first experience, the first lived and remembered experience I had with a fairy inhabitant. But just as I go on to explain in the book, this experience gave me no answers. Rather, it sparked an entire field of questions. I know that there is more to life, but how can I access it? How can I connect into it? What if there's more to this world than we are taught to believe? What if there's more than what we can see with our physical eyes and hear with our physical ears? Fairy has really been the frequency that has guided me, that has offered both a light in the darkness as well as a reflection 
a mirror to show me who I really am. And this is one of the benefits to engaging with these inhabitants in this realm is that they, their reflection, their energy, being with them in communion, in heart communion, helps you know yourself more deeply and helps you know yourself as truly part of an interconnected web of life. So perhaps at this point, you're still like, great, this is stirring something within me, but I still don't know what the heck fairies are, Diamira. Are you going to explain what and who fairies are? Part of working with these beings is that beautiful spiral, circular but spiral journey that keeps circling around (laughs) what we want to know. But we find that in the spiraling around a center point, we actually learn and come to experience a great deal. And I hope it's not lost on you that it is not only me that is creating this podcast conversation, but it is them too. And there are codes and energies and patterns that they are transmitting to you in these circumambulations. So I want to perhaps do a little word play. And as you may or may not know, my background, my academic background is as a linguist and that was my degree in university was language and culture specifically focused on Spanish and Italian. And later I went on to study other languages. And ultimately I became a translator for the spirit realm. Part of the gift that I offer is translating the energies into the English language. And the English language as many words as it has can be quite limiting when we are trying to convey ideas and experiences from the subtle realms, from the realm of spirit. What I love to do is to go back to basics and to explore the history and roots, root meanings of words to perhaps give us some insight into what they mean. So I'd like to do that with fairy and you can nerd out with me. And then we will approach it from a more mythological standpoint to see if we can glean some clue as to who and what the fairy people are. So firstly, fairy is one of those words whose origin is actually shrouded in mist. There are a couple of different theories around what the origin of this word is, where it came from. And we're going to explore all the ones that I'm aware of. So first, most commonly, the origin of the word fairy is connected to Old French, 
le fay, which comes from the Latin fata or fatum. Both of these words actually translate as destiny or fate. And they may evoke images for you of the three fates. These came to be sort of diminished as the three fairy godmothers, but way before that, these were the three fates. And in Norse mythology, they were known as the Nornir, the Norns. And it was said that the three fates, going back to Greek mythology, were those who spun and wove and cut upon the web of life. And they would spin and weave your life story as a thread until completion, and then it would be cut. In Barbara G. Walker's The Women's Encyclopedia of Myths and Secrets, she writes, The Moore were Clotho, the spinner, Lachesis, the measurer, Anatropos, the cutter of life's thread. She explains that nearly always the three fates were weavers. In Anglo Saxon literature, fate is, quote, woven. Latin, destino, which means destiny, means that which is woven or fixed with cords and threads. Fate is, quote, bound to happen just as the spells of fairy women were binding. Further down, she also mentions what I've just alluded to, which is, fate was synonymous with fairy in the Middle Ages. She goes on to give an account from Burchardus of Worms, who complained that the people honored the fates or weird sisters at the beginning of every year, putting offerings of food and drink on a table for them with three knives for cutting their meat, presumably so the death-dealing cutter wouldn't be tempted to use her own knife. Greeks still say the fates visit the cradle of every newborn to determine the child's future as his fairy godmothers. So let us just keep that as a sort of bookmark, that fairy being possibly synonymous with destiny or fate, or at the very least being inextricably linked. We'll come back to that in just a moment. I want to explore some of the other possible origins of the word. Another idea is that fairy actually came from a Gaelic word. Let's begin actually with two words. In Gaelic, the word banshee, banshee means woman of the mound. Fair, he, which looks like fair, she, <laughs> but it's fair, he, is man of the mound. So this begs the question, what mound are we speaking to and what can this possibly mean? Well, in the Celtic lands, the mounds, they are these sacred fairy hills. And the story that I recounted about my experience on Glastonbury Tor can be considered a fairy mound. But there are a great many fairy hills or fairy mounds all throughout England, Ireland, Scotland, 
Wales. And these mounds in Gaelic are often called she, spelled S-I-D-H-E. She is also the same word that is used in Gaelic to mean fairy. So we have the same word being used for these mounds that are linked to the fairy people and also to fairy themselves, the she. Perhaps you've heard of that word before, she. We're going to come to who the she may be in just a little bit. But first, I want to talk about the other meanings for the word she, in addition to fairy and to these mounds that are fairy inhabited. The word she also means wind. And so perhaps that maybe starts to give us some idea of their their quality, their nature. For the wind is, if we think about wind, a great elemental force, no doubt. Wind has great power. It can be the slightest breeze. It can be, be the strongest gale. It can be a tornado. It can be a cyclone. But it is invisible. Its effects are not. We can hear the sound as it connects with the trees and the leaves rustling, or as it blows through a passageway through the mountain, creating that whistling sound. We can hear branches knocking against the rooftop. So we can certainly observe through our sight, through our hearing, the effects of wind. But we cannot see it. It is invisible to our eyes. But we don't deny this force. We don't deny its existence. We know it well. In fact, many of us have come to perhaps develop a great respect for this force that can be both creative and destructive, that can cleanse and clear just just as much as it can confuse, right? I think of how the wind can create waves that stir up the silt at the bottom of the sea, creating low visibility. If you're a diver, you know what I'm talking about. But the wind can also move, push the clouds to create a clear sky. And when we consider the wind from a more internal mythic place, the wind has been said to carry stories. The wind is one of the four elements that holds medicine. And it can be said that it is the closest to the fifth element, the element of spirit that connects all. So these are all prompts that we can use to explore this possible association with fairy to perhaps again, through that circumambulation, begin to understand their nature ever so little. There is another meaning for the word she, and that is peace. And that is why sometimes the she 
the fairy people, are also called the people of peace. And I've pondered on peace a lot since I came to know this connection between fairy and this word. And I think my mistake, my misunderstanding in the beginning was that I perhaps had an idealized version of peace, which meant some sort of static reality, the absence of war. But just like fairy has often been connected unfairly to a static, timeless reality where time never moves an eternal paradise that never changes, I think the truth is possibly explored through this same road through looking at peace. Is peace truly the static concept that we think it is, the absence of war, or is peace something else, something more vibrant, living, something that perhaps conveys dynamic, harmonious flows of energy that is living and breathing just like fairy. I want to take this time to add a little side note. In recent years, the last few decades, nature spirits and devas have become a really big topic of conversation in the New Age and spiritual communities. In my understanding, working with nature energies in this way actually stems from the Theosophists, the Theosophical Society, which was led by Madame Blavatsky at the turn of the last century. So talking about towards the end of the Victorian era. And While nature spirits and devas, let's just talk about nature spirits. While nature spirits are certainly part of fairy, as we were talking about fairy at the very beginning from a very high level umbrella frequency perspective, nature spirits, as I work with them, are not the same as the fairy people. There is a huge distinction between spirits of nature, which are very important and a really significant part of the ecosystem between them and the fairy people or she. And in fact, to bridge this, I would share that it was the fairy people, the she in particular, a couple of beautiful allies who I forged a relationship with at the very beginning of my tutelage under the fairy people that I undertook for several years. And in fact, at the beginning, I didn't know that there were human teachers available for this subject matter. So all the wisdom that I was blessed to receive, all the teachings around fairy, the fairy wisdom teachings, as I came to call them for a great long time, were bestowed by the fairy people. And this included all of my work and understanding with the nature spirits. Early on, the fairy people helped me remember how to communicate with the realm of nature spirits, with the realm of nature. 
how to engage with it, how to open to its medicine, and then ultimately remember how to allow its medicine to flow through me, to bless others, to create a and facilitate a healing container for others. So nature spirits are, of course, connected and part of this frequency of fairy. But it's important to speak to the distinction between nature spirits and the she. The last story I want to leave you with is a mythological one, because the question may have dawned on you, who are the she? Where did they come from? And this is one of those questions that should spark more questions than answers, which is a good thing. This is a question that journeys us because I'm going to share with you a story from myth, the story of the Tuatha Dé Danann, well, one of their stories. And this gives us a little anchoring, a little context of where they might have come from and how they connect in. And then I'm going to tie it all up for us. The story that I'm going to share is from the Book of Invasions, which is a collection of Irish, Celtic, prose, and poetry that recounts the myth as well as history of early Ireland. The Tua de Danann, the children of the goddess Danu. These beings, humanoid in appearance, but seemingly imbued with supernatural powers and abilities, were said to have come from the north. And from the north, from the place of great mystical learning and advanced knowledge, they brought with them sacred objects, sacred medicine, and mystical arts. When they arrived on the scene, they were met by the possibly original inhabitants known as the Firbolgs. And in a battle, they defeated the Firbolgs and they became the custodians of the lands currently known as Ireland. They flourished there for many, many, many years. And in time, they were also met with those who sought to defeat them. And a great battle ensued with the Milesians, the humans. And eventually, the Tuadedanen lost. And as part of the terms of defeat were that the land would be divided up in two. Now, normally we may think of north and south or some such arrangement, but in this case, it was said that it was divided between the above, the surface world, and the below, the underworld, the inner world. And as per the terms of this agreement, the Milesians, the humans, would inhabit the upper world, while the Tuadedanen would be relegated to the below. And the below is where they would stay. And 
of course, the connection point between these two worlds were the hills, the mounds. And thus, the Tuade Danan from that point forward really became known as the Shi, the people, the guardians of the mounds and entrances to inner earth. But as we know, when we begin to divide, isolate, we cut a part off of ourselves. And what happened is the she took with them the magical arts that they had bestowed on the humans. They took with them the living enchantment. They took with them their spells of beauty and healing. And now those who would seek these great boons would often have to pay a price for entrance. For very, very rarely were these gifts given freely. No, they needed to be earned. They needed to be given to only those who were worthy. But without the magic and the love and the enchantment and the connection to nature, humans forgot who they were. They forgot their connection. They began to feel separate from nature, from the below, from magic. And this all-too-painful past was a constant reminder for what they had, but in their greed, lost, squandered, turned their back on. If we think of the the world being divided in two, the upper and the below, so many people could say, oh, that's the higher self and the lower self. Yes, or the mind and the heart. Because the surface world, what we see, that is part of the conscious reality. But the below, the inner planes of earth, can only be journeyed from the consciousness of the heart. This is truly the realm of the soul. And so this is also a story that holds the moment, an imprint of when the split occurred between human and fairy. But this is not the only place that this story is found. In J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings and the Silmarillion, we can also glean this story, right? The elves leaving for the land in the West. And in the Arthurian material, the mysteries of Avalon stories, we also see this in the story of the well maidens, which I'm not going to go into here, but it's called elucidation if you want to, if you want to have a little research moment. And you'll also see that there was, again, a transgression that caused the wells to go dry and the well maidens, those connected with fairy to withdraw their support and their connection. So all of these stories, and there are many, many, many more, give us an indication, specifically going back to the Tuadedanin, these god-like beings. Of course, perhaps anyone who seems to have superpowers maybe appears godlike, but these godlike beings the shining ones who became those of the below, 
who are also with their name, she, the people of peace, those who harmonize the energies, the currents. They mediate the forces of life and death of the earth. They are connected with our destiny, just as we are connected with theirs. They who are as impactful as the wind, and just because of their invisibility to our physical eyes, they are no less powerful. And they are guardians of the inner world forces that breathe this world into being, fill it with life and color and texture, infuse it with living magic and power. These are just some clues to speaking about who and what the fairy people are. If I've left you with more questions than answers, then I've done my job. (laughs) At least when we're talking about fairy. Because what I would like to encourage, and what I think they would like to encourage, is that, that we end this separation, this idea that we are separate. And that we seek to heal the rift that has grown between us, and that we open, that we meet each other halfway at this threshold, at the fairy gates. Let us engage one another once again, for we are all Gaians, and there is much that they wish to share with us at this time, and there is much that we can share with them. But the meeting has to come from the place within us. We have to meet them through heart, through body, through blood and spirit. We cannot meet each other in the mind. So your first step is to move into heart-centered consciousness. If you need a little help getting there, you can go to my website, diamirarose.com. That's D-I-O-M-I-R-A-R-O-S-E dot com. And you can go to the Get Started Here or Resource page. And on there you will find a wealth of blogs as well as meditations that can really get you started working in this way. Connecting with your heart, opening to embodied mythic reality. In that same bundle of resources, you'll also find all kinds of sharings about essences, flower essences, elemental essences, essences of sacred sites. And I hope that these are another pathway for you to help you connect with the expansive magic and medicine that lives as part of this realm. And that is available to all of us at this time. Blessings on your journey of remembrance.